You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Ariana Gonzalez with Chug Attorneys and CPAs tuning in from our San Diego office. And joining me today is partner and attorney Angelita Chavez from our Kennewick, Washington office. Hi there, Angelita, and welcome. Hi, Ariana. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Today's topic is should you hire foreign workers? We're going to be covering the pros and cons of hiring foreign workers. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin, this conversation is for informational purposes only. It does not create an attorney-client relationship, so please comment your questions below or email us anytime at info at chug.com so we can help you out. So let's start with the basics of immigration. Angelita, can you talk to us about what the general process is for employers to legally hire foreign workers in the United States? Thank you for that question. So in general, the hiring process for for any, any employer who wants to hire somebody, whether they are a U.S. worker or a foreign worker, is to ensure or to, to request that employment authorization, right? Anybody who wants to work in the United States that are physically present in the U.S., they have to have a employment authorization. So this could mean that they are authorized to work because of the type of visa that they have or because they acquired employment authorization through a different, another status. For example, those with pending asylum applications those folks would be able to apply for employment authorization and therefore be lawfully authorized to work. On the other hand, we have also folks with deferred action status that can also have employment authorization. And there's many statuses that allow allow that person to apply for employment authorization and to be lawfully authorized to work. Other folks that could be authorized to work are folks that are on, in the U.S. on H1, H-1B visas or L-1 visas. And those visas don't require separate employment authorization because they're already authorized to work by the fact that they have that H-1B or L-1 approval. Employers, when they're hiring, whether it's a foreign worker or U.S. worker, also have to make sure that they are, you know, properly completing their 4 by 9s right? That's the, that's the employer's responsibility to be able to do that. And HR should also know how to properly complete those forms so that they're, so that they can have those workers be able to be able to get onboarded and work with them. One quick note that I wanted to bring up, with, especially with hiring and that 4 by 9 is that sometimes folks, employers that have the system of E-Verify think that E-Verify is sufficient and they don't have to do Form I-9. This is actually incorrect. The E-Verify system does not replace the legal obligations and requirements for any U.S. employer hiring any worker, U.S. US worker or foreign worker, regardless, from actually being able to retain, complete, properly complete and retain that Form I-9. So always be completing those forms as required by law and retain those forms as required by law if you are a U.S. employer. That's really helpful to know how important those forms are. I appreciate you covering the importance of that. So let's say an employer does want to sponsor an employee and hire a foreign worker. How would this employer go about sponsoring this employee? Can you talk about that process a little? Sure. Yeah, thank you for that question. I mean, it's really going to depend on what type of position you have for this foreign worker, whether they already are in the United States on a different visa or in a visa status or in a lawful visa status. They are more, maybe they are that potential employee is with another employer on an H1. Maybe they want to transfer to you. 
And uh, therefore, you would have to file that petition with immigration, file that transfer, and have that employee in, in start. On the other hand, you might have already workers potentially in a parent company abroad. Let's say you're in a U.S. employer with subsidiaries all over the, the world. You might have some employees there with specialized or advanced knowledge that you want to transfer to the United States as L-1Bs, or you have some managers that you want to transfer on L-1As. So all of those types of petitions as an employer require you to file something with the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. Usually it's a 4 I 29 along with other requirements for H-1s. You might be required to also have to file an LCA before you even file that petition. So all of that gets filed with immigration. If that is approved, your employee is abroad, they would be able to use that approval to apply for a visa and enter the United States, and then they can properly start working upon entry or upon whatever validity dates right are on, on their approval. So those are the general processes, but in, in reality, it's going to really depend on the type of employment you have available for that worker, whether they are already in the United States in some sort of lawful visa status that allows them to change to an H-1, for example, if or, or transfer them to another visa status. For those employers that maybe have never hired a U.S. worker, they they have some candidates and they want to bring them in on H-1Bs, that employer will first have to enter those workers onto the, the lottery for the cap lottery that happens every single March. And if, if your workers are selected at that point, then you're able to start filing those petitions in April, but they would not be able to start working until October 1st. So it's a bit of a process and it really depends. Now, there are other visas that you may not have to enter the lottery for. Perhaps you have an E3 employee from, from Australia or you have potentially a TN worker from either Canada or Mexico, you might be able to bring that worker in. But again, most of those do require filing some sort of petition with immigration, getting that approved, and that employee being able to successfully enter the United States on that valid visa status. So there's just so much more to the process. And that's why having a, an attorney, somebody who's really experienced to walk you through whether your employee has the right qualifications, the right credentials, and um, and whether that type of job that you have available for them is something that fits also that that type of visa. That's great information. It sounds like there are so many different options for all the different types of visas. So definitely check with your immigration professionals. Reach out if you want to know about all the different types of visas. So let's talk about the benefits of hiring foreign workers. So how can hiring foreign workers, in your perspective, contribute to the diversity and inclusivity of a company? Yeah, th that's a great question. Sometimes we don't we think about potentially the economical benefits of, of hiring a foreign worker or how it can contribute to your business. But there's also so many more even intangible type of benefits in hiring a foreign workers. Foreign workers really can help promote cultural exchange within the workplace. They can enrich your workplace because of the diversity of the different kinds of countries where these workers might be coming from. They also, you know, can come with like these different global perspectives because they've had different experiences. They've worked with other businesses across the world, perhaps, and they're coming in and they, that could really potentially be very valuable to your business or your operations. That's really helpful to know. Definitely, they bring, you know, a whole different world of skills from, from where they're coming from, a different perspective, a fresh mind. So it's definitely so many benefits in that. So in what ways can foreign workers help companies fill these skill gaps that they have or shortages in specific fields that they might have? Sure. So many different industries can potentially have skills gaps or, or shortage gaps, depending on the, you know, what's going on with the economy or whether folks are graduating right under with certain degrees. So that that could all pose a problem for those employers who are really trying to 
fill that gap. So these foreign workers oftentimes have specialized skills that are really scarce within the domestic workforce. And again, for, for many reasons, right? So this could be very helpful for employers in filling that critical gap. They also can bring in innovation and innovative ideas, creativity, and as well as they can provide access to maybe give you a competitive advantage, right? Because sometimes these workers will have these innovative ideas that can drive more technological development or product development, just different things that we might not really see just because whatever workforce we have in the, in the area. So these workers really kind of help infuse that and really inject a lot of that in there. And oftentimes, too, hiring foreign workers also creates opportunities to even hire more workers, right? Open your business and increase it. Um, so that way you even also contribute even more to the local economy. So there's really a, some of that give and take there, too. That's a great point. It just opens up a new door for expansion in so many different areas and, and bringing in more talent, more international talent. So I know you've worked with many companies going through this process on, on both sides. So could you talk about what you've seen the best practices might be for addressing cultural sensitivity in a diverse workplace? They're, they're often coming to a different country. How do we address these difficulties? Yeah. So as we do know, having a diverse workforce is can be very beneficial, right, for for different kinds of employers and, and, and workplaces. And as people become more aware of the importance of diversity, you know, that really go, you know, comes home when it comes to hiring foreign workers, especially because they, they are going to be coming from different places, different countries, different backgrounds, different cultural norms. So first of all, creating a safe work environment is very important because we are required under federal and state law, right? We have federal and state laws that, that require having safe work environments. So if you don't have a safe work environment for different types of, of perspectives and cultures to be able to just be able to work together, that that could be an issue under both federal and state laws. So making sure that we're abiding by those those laws, having those safe work environments, uh, avoiding discrimination as employers in the U.S. cannot discriminate against foreign workers or U.S. workers, right, and vice versa. So both U.S. workers and foreign workers have to be treated the same. And also you can't discriminate against race or national origin, which, you know, most of these workers obviously are of different national origins because they're coming from different countries. So not, you know, minimizing those sorts of things is very important, making sure that that's not happening because, again, both federal and state laws will generally have some sorts of protection. So having workplace trainings that can minimize bias, discrimination, those sorts of things are quite important because, again, hiring potentially foreign workers, it really facilitates a lot of cultural exchange in the workplace. It can really enrich the working environment of people. I mean, we know in our firm, we have we have employees from all over different parts of the world, speak all sorts of different languages, and it really does create a very enriching type of workplace environment where you get to learn about things that you had no idea or different cultural celebrations you didn't know about. And, and it makes it makes coming to work a lot a great place. So celebrating those cultural differences can also help create that inclusive workplace. Those are great insights. And yes, personally, from firsthand experience, it's such a beautiful environment to be in and, and learning about all the different cultures and celebrating with everyone. And it, it's definitely a beautiful thing. So let's talk about the challenges of hiring foreign workers. So what are some common legal challenges that employers might face when they're in this process of trying to hire foreign workers? Do you have some insight on that? Sure. Yeah. So just as there, as there are obviously lots of benefits to being able to hire a foreign worker and getting that all of those benefits from having those types of workers and including the different ideas and, and technologies and skills that they might have, there are definitely a lot of obligations that could come with some challenges for employers that they, they should understand before undertaking 
undertaking such a thing, such a sponsorship, because it does come with those responsibilities. So employers who are hiring uh, foreign workers, they have to comply with both federal immigration laws as well as even state employment-based laws. These can be very complex. They can sometimes change you know, from one moment to the next. As we know, in, our, in, in this industry, things are constantly changing. So having uh, systems that provide best practices and making, you know, mitigating some of those risks is really important. Making sure that you're in compliance with a lot of those things is important. Again, uh, being aware of how to properly fill out your forms, just you know, some of those, those basic things, but I can go into a bit more um, details. That's so helpful to know to, to cover those challenges that, that they might come across when going through this process. So when you're comparing hiring domestic hires, how might the hiring process for foreign workers differ in terms of time and resources compared to hiring domestically? Sure. Well, in terms of resources, the most employers are liable for the petitions, right? To, to when they're sponsoring that worker, they are they they'll have to cover a lot of those fees for that worker. So they're in terms of that that could be a little bit more expensive. But in terms of actual hiring practices of onboarding that that employee, it has to be the same as a U.S. worker, right? Um, again, you cannot discriminate. You cannot treat foreign workers differently than U.S. workers or vice versa or prefer foreign workers over U.S. workers. Those are all would be prohibited by law. So in terms of onboarding and those sorts of things, that would be the same. That's helpful to know. So make sure that the onboarding process is the same. There's, there's really no difference once you hire somebody in terms of foreign or domestic. So let's talk about legal responsibilities when hiring foreign workers. What are the key responsibilities employers have towards their foreign workers in terms of visa and sponsorship? Yeah, so I touched upon it just a little bit earlier in terms of when you're sponsoring a foreign worker, let's say an H-1, for example, you as an employer would have to you know, cover those petitions, that petition cost. Uh, you cannot put that on, you know, the employee would not be able to pay for that directly. And in addition to that, you would also you know, be liable for pay, paying the prevailing wage. So I can go over a little bit of some of those lists. So first and foremost, again, complying with immigration, right? You have to, you would have to be aware of immigration law and policy, be able to comply to that. For somebody who is coming to the United States as an H-1B worker, you would have to first file that labor certification application with the Department of Labor, that LCA. And so you would have to comply with all those terms and conditions on that LCA, including maintaining a public access file, that would be necessary for people who want to inspect it or are available for audits, for example, as well as, uh, you know, workplace postings, postings and, and, and notifying other U.S. workers that you're hiring that worker, knowing when that employee can actually start and, and, and making sure that that employee does not start earlier than what they were be authorized to do, as well as ensuring that, you know, that they're also not working beyond their authorized stay or that they're properly extending their authorization before their authorized stay in the United States, especially in the case of visas like H-1s or L's and things like that. Other obligations involve notifying immigration of any changes. Let's say your worker is an H-1B worker, and let's say now that they are going to be moving to a different location or a different position that is really a material change to the current terms and conditions of that employee's job. In that case, you are obligated as an employer to notify the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services in advance of those changes so you can properly file what's called an amendment with the USCIS. And once that amendment is filed and start dates are proper, that person would be able to start that change, but not before. So those would all be terms, as well as, again, paying that prevailing wage, right? So whatever prevailing wage you would have to pay that H-1B employee, you cannot pay them less than that prevailing wage. And again, it's to protect both you know, U.S. and foreign workers. If your employee is, of course, if you terminate your employee because that job is no longer available for whatever reason, you still have to maintain your path 
for at least a year. And you also should notify the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services that that job is no longer available, that person's no longer with you, and you would you know, offer that employee reasonable cost of return home. So there are really a lot of responsibilities that could be involved in that sponsorship, which is why it's so important to partner with an experienced immigration firm, immigration lawyers, who can really walk that employer through all of the compliance matters so that they are complying with both, you know, with federal immigration law and ensuring that they're doing everything that they can on, on their end in terms of obligations to not jeopardize, you know, their, their employees. Yes, that's great information. It's definitely important to to check with our immigration professionals, make sure we're, we're following all of the responsibilities, doing everything the right way. And, you know, speaking of that topic, I know we t- we covered a little bit about how we do have to treat our U.S. employees and our foreign workers the same in, in terms of, you know, treatment and pay. And, and there are standards that need to be met um, when hiring these foreign workers. So going a little bit deeper into that, are there any ethical considerations that employers need to bear in mind? When hiring foreign workers, especially in terms of equal pay and fair treatment, is there anything additional that you can um, offer some insight on? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. So in terms of ethical considerations, I would also consider them both both ethical and legal considerations, right? Um, because again, those anti-discrimination statute not be permitted, right, to discriminate with the, both U.S. and foreign workers, again, treating them, treating folks equally in terms of employment conditions, et cetera, and also complying again with that prevailing wage, super important. Things do change, obviously, in the industry. Sometimes, you know, a company might be going through hard times, et cetera. That does not eliminate those wage obligations if you have a foreign worker. So keeping in mind that these obligations remain right throughout the, that person's employment that you have with you and that and, and the conditions on that petition that you hired them for. So just kind of keeping those those things in mind is going to be super important to know really what you what you what you need to do as an employer when hiring foreign workers. So let's talk about some potential risks that we might get into. We talked about all of the benefits of hiring foreign workers. So are there any risks associated with relying heavily on a foreign workforce in terms of legal challenges or immigration policy shifts? I know we talked about things that immigration are always changing, so we definitely need to look out for that. So what insight can you give us on this? Yeah, there can be some issues for sure heavily relying on a foreign workforce. So let's say, for example, I'll go back going back to the HS because they, they seem to have a lot of have, have rules and regulations around them. Um, going back to the HS, if you are you know, a dependent employer, an employer who has 25 more or fewer equivalent U.S. employees, and you have at least eight H-1B workers, or you have between 26 and 50 full-time U.S. employees, and at least 13 of those are H-1B workers, or if you have 51 or more employees and at least you know, 15% of those are H-1B workers, you could be considered an H-1B dependent employer. And so those employers are going to have to have additional attestations about not displacing U.S. workers. They also have to potentially do active recruitment of U.S. workers. So there's going to be potentially some legal obligations involved with heavily relying. But you also mentioned potentially policy shifts, right? If you are really an employer that that more heavily relies on foreign workers, when policies shift and change, that may not necessarily be very beneficial. And, and that could 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 be an issue with having the workforce that you need on hand, potentially, or the facility of bringing those workers to the United States if you are more heavily relying. And again, laws exist so that that, that doesn't occur and employers 
again, would have to have these attestations and, and obligations to actively be recruiting those workers. And even in the perm process, which is a process of hiring a foreign worker permanently as, as sponsoring them for a lawful permanent resident status, those preference-based categories, usually, you know, they do have to go through the perm process, which requires actively recruiting U.S. workers before you can even offer that foreign worker that permanent position, right? So again, it's to protect those U.S. workers. And that's always going to be at the, you know, foreground of everything. That's great to know that the law, those laws are in place to also protect um, the, the U.S. workers, um, as well as offer opportunities to to foreign workers as well. So it definitely seems like there's greater benefit in, in diversifying the workforce, having U.S. workers, and then also bringing in the skill and and fresh minds of, of international potential foreign employees. So what happens if a foreign worker's visa is not renewed or denied? How does the company handle this issue? Do you have some insight we can cover on that? Yeah, thank you for that question. So important. You know, oftentimes we don't want to think that a bad thing can happen, right? We want to think of the best and that that like, yeah, that employee is going to have their their approval. Everything's going to be fine. But, you know, there are going to be situations in which someone might have a denial for whatever reason. So first and foremost, having a part, you know, an immigration firm, an immigration attorney who is really experienced in the area, they can navigate the different options available. It's all really going to be contextual if that Potentially, if that petition was denied for just maybe something was missing or whatever, it could be possible that they could apply again. If that person's authorized, if they're in the United States, but their authorized stay has expired and their they, their petition has been denied, they definitely have to depart immediately. There are going to be severe consequences of overstaying in the United States past your period of authorized stay. So that employee who's H1 or, or, or whatever the case may be was denied. They'll have to, you know, obviously leave the United States so that they don't accumulate that unlawful presence and cause them immigration consequences in the future. But potentially that employer could reapply for them, make sure that everything's complete, nothing's missing, and that they might be able to come back on that same type of visa. It's really going to be very contextual. Oftentimes it's possible to reapply or maybe uh, file a motion to reopen or, or an appeal of some kind on that denial. And sometimes that's enough, but it's really going to be talking to that your immigration attorney so that they can really take a look at your situation, find out what happened and, and help you find the right, you know, the right route to be able to address that issue, whether it's reapplying or appealing that decision, having that person be able to come back after they depart. Um, so it's going to be very contextual. Thank you for going into detail and covering that. That's that's definitely important to know um, what happens, you know, when when it doesn't work out or, or when when it's not renewed or denied, you know, what are the next steps? What can we do? And, you know, definitely speak with your immigration professionals and make sure you're you're taking all the necessary steps and handling things properly so that nobody gets in trouble in the process. So thank you so much, Angelita, for taking the time to to discuss this and share your insights with us. I, I know you're you're super busy. So thank you for taking the time. Please reach out to us if you have any questions or suggestions. Email us anytime at info at chug.com so we can help you out. Until next time, stay safe and take care. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chug.com for legal and immigration and www.chug.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chug LLP team. 